everyone. Welcome back to Champions of Security. I'm your host, Jacob Garrison. Today's guest is Micah Jackson. Micah, at work, is an application security team lead and a hacker. He gets to break things and build them back stronger. He's also an, a security enthusiast. So while application security is his role, he enjoys every aspect of security, from firewalls to malware reverse engineering. He'll talk about any of it. At home, he's also a father, a husband, and a puppy dad. Hey, Micah, thank you so much for joining. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. And so for everyone that's listening, uh, one thing that made me want to reach out to Micah and get him on here was he he had sort of a network background, um, and then he told me that he had gotten into application security by way of offensive security. Um, and, and it seems like that's sort of one of the two paths people take. They either were developers that you know are interested in code and end up in AppSec, or they take more of that offensive side. And so, Micah, can you can you just you know to start walk us through what that journey looked like for you, and, and maybe what sparked you to want to do it in the first place? Absolutely. How far back do you want me to go? I would say as far back as will help the audience. So take it take it all the way back. <laughs> well, I'll spare you the I'll spare you the the college years then. Um, so I've always had an interest in security. Uh, I've always found it fascinating. And um, I, it all started whenever I, I obtained my CCNA, security, uh, Cisco Security uh, Certification. And I went into, I went from a system administration role or a, a, a bench tech help desk at that background. And I went to work um, on firewalls and IDS, IPS. Um, this was ultimately not my, where I wanted to get to, but it was a foot in the door. Um, from there, I, I was actually recruited uh, to come work at a big telecom doing similar things with a greater scope. So it was more along the lines of um, also DDoS defense and also happened to touch on web application firewalls. And I did that for a few years where I gained the interest of a uh, corporation that I'm with now, uh, which is VF Corp, and uh, started out there their vulnerability management department. That's essentially they just stood up a, a security group uh, overseeing vulnerabilities. And uh, one day they say, hey, we want to spin up an application security team. Who wants to do it? Well, nobody raised their hand. So I was like, that sounds cool. Let's do this. Uh, so I jumped in from there. And I, I started out as a, a senior analyst. And uh, I lead the team now. And it has been a, a really incredible journey. That is the short version. Perfect. Well, well thank you for the short version. Uh... Yeah, no, it's, it's a great journey. And you've brought up a couple interesting things. And one thing you said towards the beginning was it was a foot in the door. You know, it's like not yeah. how I wanted to be, but it was a foot in the door. So it, how hard is it for people to get that foot in the door originally? Uh, like, you know, what what's and what's your advice for getting your foot in the door? Absolutely. Um, for me, it was it was kind of difficult. I um I grew up in a very rural area. Uh, jobs in the realm of IT, we weren't, we weren't all remote yet, right? So we're back, kind of back in the stone age, I guess you can say. And uh, it was mainly system administration, server admin, uh, with some networking and firewall jobs. Um, I, I happened to have, like I said, a great interest in security. So I, I pursued the one, a certification that would be relevant to what I was doing um, in order to get my foot in the door to, to do the thing that I wanted to do. From there, uh, I actually had to leave the state by about 1,500 miles or more to get somewhere that I can actually work in security. Um, it was by way of a, a local company that had a branch office. 
Um, so for me, it was it, it was a long journey, both literally and figuratively, to to start getting my foot in the door. Um, we also didn't necessarily have all the great resources that we have today, uh, and, and the, the great maps and plans to get into the industry. Um, so a little bit harder than probably I that it should have been, but it was it was worth it, right? Because now I'm doing the things that I want to do. Yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing. I'm glad you're able to figure it out. And, and so for people who maybe are growing up in rural communities or in areas where they don't have, uh, you know, the, those resources um, at their fingertips or they don't, maybe they don't have people in their peer group or, you know, their immediate um, geographic vicinity to be able to leverage connections, you know, what would you recommend for those people, for anyone, you know, like wants to get in, but it only has the internet? Oh, man. So I'm I'm a little old school when it comes to that. The internet is fantastic. There, the resource that I would recommend, the biggest thing that I'd recommend right now, if you want to get into cybersecurity, um, Heath Adams over at TCM Security has a great set of courses, uh, very knowledgeable. Um, it's it's not uh, so overwhelming that you know you look at it and you think I can't do this, right? Because I think sometimes that happens to people when they're first starting out. Is they they look at the the vastness of cybersecurity and they think. That is a lot. Well, you're not expected to know it all, right? Find a little little area that you like, that you want to know more about, and you study. Um, in this case, Heath, Heath Adams' courses are great for this. Um, they're about 25-hour courses a piece, I think, um, mo- mostly dealing with the topics of offensive security. There is some programming, uh, maybe a little bit of networking there as well. Uh, but they're, they're relatively affordable. I think they're $30 per class, and that's for a lifetime um, subscription. Uh, I should note, I don't work for TCM security. These people are not sponsoring me. I've never met Heath Adams in person. I just think that what they're doing is great. Uh, on top of that, you know, I, I read, I, I'm a little bit old school. I read a lot. Like I've, I've got a book, uh, right now. The Art of Attack. Yep. Uh, I happened to just stumble upon that when I was going through the bookstore one day. I know it's weird. I don't just order everything from Amazon. I do in fact go to bookstores. Um, that's good. Yeah, I uh, I like the tactile feel, and yeah, just just go to a, go to a, a bookstore, find the technology section, say this is the thing I'm going to learn about, and just start reading. Don't start reading and think this is a lot. I don't know what these people are talking about. Take notes, follow that up. I didn't know what he meant by this word or that she meant by this word. I go online, uh, I perform some research, and I I learn what those things mean. Once you understand the, the lexicon or the language that people are using to try to convey information to you, the rest of it becomes so much easier, right? So I guess it's my long-winded way of saying the fundamentals, right? Learn the fundamentals. And you can do that through books. You can do it through YouTube courses. Um, you know, if I can drop a couple names from, from the YouTube community that I, I'm really impressed with, uh, John Hammond, uh, Ipsic. Um, Tiberius, all those guys, they do fantastic, like hack the box write-ups. Again, more angled towards the offensive side because that's that's what I know. Um, find uh, social people on social media, right? Follow them. Um, one thing that I I probably didn't do as well that I think would give people a um, a leg up is find a mentor. You know, um, very introverted, uh, so it was hard for me to reach out to people and say, hey, you know, I'm wanting to learn more about these things. Can you help me out or can you point me in the right direction? Which is what my my friend Jacob here is, is doing, right? He's putting this information in front of you. Um, 
to do, right? Reach out, you know, find a mentor and, and uh, things will, will start, start happening. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really important thing that people overlook. Security is a scary field, right? Like everything's about what could go wrong and how are we going to lose data? And it's, it's always like, it's the bad stuff is sort of what you're dealing with. But the people who work in it, in my experience, at least tend to be super welcoming. They're excited when people want to, to join and, oh, yeah. and they're, they're happy to have you on board and they're happy to tell you stuff. And yeah, I think that that's like, if you can, you can reach out to people and, and you'll be surprised at who will respond and who will actually help you. Absolutely. We have a wonderful community and it's, um, it's been so welcoming to me. I've reached out to several people, people who I thought I'm not even on their radar, right? And I reach out to them on, on you know, it used to be Twitter and, and other various sources, and they'd respond to me and, and give me helpful advice, right? Um, it's it's a wonderful community, absolutely. Sweet. Well, so one thing I, I want to go back to, you had mentioned in your first, your first security uh, type role, you dealt with DDoS and WAF, like web application firewalls. Um, and mm-hmm. and so, you know, I'm curious when, when you think about like where that was at that time versus where it is today, I don't know if you still keep up with it, um, but like what what advancements have you seen in, in terms of like what people are using for, for those areas? Do you feel like they're changing at all? I think that there is currently some ongoing um, processes, ongoing research. I'm, I'm a little removed from the DDoS world now um, than, than what I used to be. Uh, but I, I think that they are, you know, obviously attackers are constantly evolving. And if you're not evolving with them, you're going to become the victim, right? You're going to be left behind and they're going to find you as, as the mark. You're going to end up on the news. Um, that's not a place that you want to be. Um, I do think there's some really good research and some really good, uh, and smart people working on it. I, I wish I could get into specifics, but it, um, I'm not on that. I do deal with WAF and DDoS some, but not on the level that I used to. Fair enough. And yeah, to your point, you don't really want to be on the news because it's never, company does an amazing job at protecting their customers. Right. Never the headline. Uh, Right. Okay. So, so then I guess let's, let's jump into more of like what you are dealing with then. You're, you're the AppSec lead at at VF um, and you do a lot of, of live streaming of you and your your peers you know doing um like is it is it on hack the box or what hack you... the box yeah that's that's our primary platform okay and, um, and so when you think about like the the things that you're working on um more heavily that are more relevant you know which which areas are you most intrigued by right now what's like the interesting thing that that you like uh that you want to talk about so i i like to think that i'm still on the path for red team right like if, if you look at my my resume i've gone from um you know, DDoS and WAF and, and uh, uh, network devices into AppSec. And I, um, when I grew up, I want to be a red teamer. I want to, you know, I've always, you know, I grew up with the hackers movies and things like that whenever I was a kid. And while I know that's not how it works and I can't just t- type upload virus and things are, you know, <laughs> broken, uh, I'm not going to hack the Gibson or anything. It is still very interesting to me because it, it really kind of scratches that competitive itch. Um, I do have a small group of, of people like, get online and, and we live stream and we learn together. It is a, a, a community learning situation where we, um, you know, we pick a box from hack the box and we go through, uh, uh, our developed methodologies, you know, that we've, we've learned from some of those great individuals that I mentioned, um, earlier in, the, in those, in those communities. And, uh, we, we work through them 
and we compare notes. We tell the things that we learned. Uh, there is no ego there. It's, hey, I don't know how to do this. And if somebody says, I do, they're willing to share that information, right? And it's great. It's it's one of those, um, you know, it's the very cliche to say stronger together. And it's it's true when it comes to security. Nobody knows everything. So you, you rely on some people who have different strengths than, than yourself, uh, and you learn more. Um, I guess that's one of the things I should have hit on, too, is that willingness to learn is definitely a key to success in any, well, in any facet in life, really, but in, in security, um, especially. Ken, you commented on how things are always changing. Hackers are evolving. You know, really any time that you try to fix something, people are going to figure out or try to figure out how to break it, at least, you know? Uh, There's a reason why AV companies are constantly putting out new signatures, right? It's it's not because they're like, yep, we solved it, we're done. No, they 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 keep changing, right? They keep changing the the um uh, the signatures because they have to. They have to keep up with the with the adversaries. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough, and and so I'd be interested to hear a story from one of your like hack the box exercises that you do. Um, can you think back to one you did recently and and just talk through? like a, an obstacle that you ran into that maybe someone else knew or that someone else ran into that you knew, vice versa, and just talk through that collaboration of like, what was the, the issue and, and how did you go about fixing it? Sure, absolutely I can. Um, I believe the box was Red Panda. Uh, and I can say that because it's a retired box, so I'm not giving away any secrets here. Uh, if you're going to work on Red Panda, spoiler alert, I'm going to spoil some things. Fast forward a little bit. <laughs> yep, fast forward a little bit. And... We had enumerated the web application, and we had come across a, a search engine, um, a search function on, on a web app. Um, we'd happened to find uh, some different images and, and different uh, information, but we were stuck, or I was stuck. Um, you know, I was streaming, and I'm like, guys, I, I don't know what to do here. Uh, and uh, somebody who's on the on this the stream said, hey, you know, I've, I've recently been studying about um, uh, XML entity injection. And I'm like, I, I know the I know what those words mean individually. I don't know if I know what they mean together. Can can you help me? You know, can can you explain it to me like I'm five? And uh, so I passed the stream over to this individual, and they walked me through it. And they're like, "This is what you do." And sure enough, um, he showed me how to test for it. Or I shouldn't just say me. There was you know a few of us there. He showed us how to test for it, and then he showed us how to uh, get data out of it, right? And we were able to move on to the next part of the of the box from there. Um, and there's several stories like that. Um, sometimes it's a, hey, you missed a Windows permission, you know, or, hey, this isn't working because you you misspelled something for Nmap, right? You used the wrong flag. And it's like, oh, of course. Um, and there's there's just lots of collaboration. There is all sorts of, of examples of that. Uh, but the Red Panda box is one specifically that, um, that comes to mind. Cool. Yeah, and it is, it is interesting when you're trying to collaboratively solve those problems because you think like the people trying to fix it right or prevent it um obviously not not yeah. much in a in a hack the box scenario but like in a real world scenario um people trying to fix it they're they're working together like how do we stop these people from breaking it and right it's the same collaboration right. that will be like hey it won't compile like what's wrong and they go oh you missed a flag uh right that's <laughs> so funny it's funny on the other side of the fence right people are like hey we're trying to break in and they're like ah, how do we how do we do <laughs> exactly exactly it's not it's not just click the button well okay most of the time it's not just click the button and, and you and you hack your way in you know there's um there's lots of smaller things that build into it 
uh, a lot of the time. A lot of moving pieces that have to align. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I'm interested to hear, and, and I understand, you know, you work at this company still, so you can't disclose a lot of information. But when you think about the program that that VF has, and you know, you were there at the at the inception, and you you said you raised your hand, you said I want to do it. Um, yeah. How? I, to the extent you're allowed to talk about it, you know, like what has been your approach for building that? How much enthusiasm have you had from other people? How do you recruit in, like in people to join you? You know, like what's that experience been like? Sure. So uh, being there from the beginning and one of the reasons that I made the leap, the leap to VF, because I really had an opportunity to build something out from scratch. And that was a very exciting opportunity. Um, a, the approach that I took, um, I had to do, I had to start off with my research, right? Like I've never run an AppSec program. I've never been an AppSec before. What do we do? Um, we, what does AppSec mean? And uh, we started out, you know, simply, right? Okay, well, let's start with with what we're doing. We're vulnerability management. Let's start with scanning. So I looked into, you know, dynamic application scanning. And I'm like, okay, well, let's find a vendor. Let's run some dynamic application scans and let's build on it from that. And then we have this, we have this other group that's like, hey, you know, we manage our, our web application firewall, but we don't really know, you know, we know how to make it work from like the, the deployment side or the business side. We have no idea what the latest security buttons do. Great. Either do I, but I'll figure it out. So, you know, I spend some time with, uh, with a vendor and I, I start learning and, uh, and then they're like, Hey, we should start conducting regular pen tests. How do you feel about managing those? At that point, my schedule, if you look at my schedule, it's all blue. Like my calendar is <laughs> entirely blue. And I'm like, probably should think about bringing on another person or two. Um, so when I went to go look for people that I wanted to bring in, I wasn't necessarily looking for a hacker or a security guy. I'm like, hey, I want to know how development works, right? Tell me how development works. And if you were developing, if you were on the other side of this and you were building this app, where do things go wrong? And where can we get in the in front of where these things go wrong to prevent them from going wrong? And that was, that was very valuable to me, right? Because that is not something that I've had a lot of experience with. It makes sense, right? Let's get in front of it. Let's let's fix it before it gets pushed to prod. Um, and then more things came out. We had this vision of this of this tiered approach of how we ingest our applications and web applications and uh, how we monitor them. There we have you know we built out a maturity model of how mature a web application is based on um, what we're finding and what kind of technologies we can put against it, right? Like we um we have a uh, we have a bug bounty program, right? We don't promote our applications to a bug bounty program until they meet a certain criteria. Because uh, if if it's still low hanging fruit that we're finding, like you know they're going they're just going to light us up, right? Like the bug you know bug bounty guys are going to light us up. Let's fix this. Let's fix the simple stuff first, get the low hanging fruit, and then give it to the to the professionals, right? Um, I highly recommend for anybody in, who's running an appsec program, look into a bug bounty program, even if you have internal web app testers. It's definitely something that I would recommend. Okay, and, and so I've, you know, I've heard positives and negatives of bug bounty programs. Right, like there's there's obviously pros and cons. Um, and you know, you you mentioned like make sure you get the low hanging fruit before you give it to the professionals. Um, right. And so, what like how quickly do you get results back in your program? Um, how many of those are are actually validated versus like false positives? You know, like what's What's been the experience and, and what's been the successes of that program? So I will tell you that our, our, our CISO greatly values our bug bounty program. That is one of the things that he calls out that our, um, 
that our folks do. It's so internally, it's been very successful. Um, whenever we built out the bug bounty program and the criteria behind it, we thought to ourselves, well, we want to be good stewards to the hackers who are going to be participating in our program, right? Because doing my research on it all the time, I would, I would run into, you know, this company is, hasn't paid us in three months or, you know, they keep submitting these as, as duplicates and, and false positives and so on and so forth. Um, which does happen. I will admit that that does happen. You do get duplicate findings quite a bit because um, a lot of times more than one person will find something, submit it, and depending on the backlog, you know, we have to look at timestamps to see you report it first and so on and so forth. But um, absolutely, um, it has been, I, I like things are very successful. And whenever we do pay out, um, we do it uh, relatively quickly from, from what I understand. And this is more coming from um, the folks on, on the bug bounty platform is that we, are very good as far as like um, the turnaround time for payment. Like we don't we don't let things sit. Um, not to say that sometimes during a validation process it doesn't drag out a little bit, uh, but for the most part, it's been positive feedback. There is always room for improvement, um, but our, our guiding principle is to, to be a a good steward for the people who are doing this work for us, right? Because they're they're taking their time um, to to test our applications. We need to be respectful of that, right? And then I think that that has really lent itself to our success with the Bug Bounty program. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly a two-way street. And you, you have to be able to, like, you, you know, you need their help, right? You're asking for their help, and then you need Absolutely. to make sure you're taking care of them. Absolutely. Uh, and so when you talk about the validation process, and sometimes the backlog grows, and it's very, it's natural, right? Like you have, it takes effort to go through and, and check all these things. Um, is that, is that like one person's job to validate bugs? Is it several people's? Like how are, how are you handling that workflow? So it is, it, it depends on what else is going on. Um, our team, I will not say we have a huge team, um, but we do have a, a, a core team of very talented individuals and we have grown over the last year. Um, thankfully, um, a couple more junior members maybe, maybe weren't quite uh, ready to do those things. But the great thing about it is that Bug Bounty, they, they provide you with step-by-step um, -step information, right? This is how we did it. In fact, it's a requirement on a reporting process. You have to lay out how you did it. Of course, uh, the Bug Bounty platform itself does validation. Um, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Uh, the, the Bug Bounty platform, that is. And we go through, we check it, and uh, it could be, we could have three people probably working through a, through a queue at one time um, if not more sometimes, but typically it's, it's one to two on a normal day where they're going through the different, um, bounties and checking them out. Uh, but they get through them pretty, pretty quickly for sure. Nice. And then how, how quickly are your developers able to go in and, and institute changes to remediate these issues? I'm assuming it's an issue in code. That is a very, very interesting question. And it really varies on the development team. Right, we we are a global company. Um, we also have development teams that work on in different areas. Our bug bounty program scope is more than just one development team. So, there are some development teams um, that are very quick to turn around. They are very efficient. There are others who are already dealing with backlogs of other issues, and depending on the severity of the finding, how quickly they get to it. Um, some things. Some things get put on the backlog, right? Like that's just how the development process goes. If it's not a uh, a high risk bug, sometimes it gets it gets pushed aside. But if that's the case, though, we we make sure we mark that in on our 
hey, we know this is an issue. This is a known finding. That way, if it does get reported again, unfortunately, we have to write it off as a, as a duplicate. But we try not to let that happen, right? Um, so it, it it really does vary depend, depending on the development team and their workload. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I think it's what everyone's going to experience, right? Like it's it's not a sure. constant thing, despite, um, you know, you put in service level agreements and you you try to stick to those, but but like the actual length of time it takes is it's going to vary. Um, Absolutely. And you mentioned you that you are a global organization, and so what has your experience been when you're interfacing with teams, you know, across the globe that are distributed? Um, like how how are you able to manage that and and um, interface with them in a way that's productive? It's it's um it's challenging sometimes, right? Mainly because of time zones and actually giving them a link up on a call. In fact, um, tonight I'm I'm linking up um, at at 10 p.m. my time for uh, one of our teams in in uh, in Asia, right? Because we want to make sure that we get the thing that we're working on right. Um, the people themselves are always very receptive, right? Like I I find that your biggest hurdle sometimes is a language barrier, um, and that's mainly you know me because I. Uh, I'm not multilingual, um, but I, I do. We do our best to communicate. We can't communicate verbally. We do find other means to communicate. For the most part, we're able to do so, though. But but there's really been no um, there's been no disturbance from like a, a a cultural standpoint, right? Like everybody works well together. Again, I think it's just this community um, and and the fact that we're all striving towards a common goal. So I I've had a positive experience. I think you know I I like working with with all all folks really. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. And and one thing I've heard um, from other from other individuals is when they're working on a globally distributed team, one of the issues they run into is is people feel like they belong to different companies. You know, even though you're under one, oh, sure. one organization, yeah. it's like it feels like it's you know our company in location A because because we're only talking to each other. We're mostly based on you know time zone differences, right? It, yeah, and so that that's an interesting thing to come across. Where like you're saying. You have to jump on a call at 10 p.m. your time uh, to accommodate, you know, someone else's time zone, and they're probably making a sacrifice in the time they're taking it as well, right? It's like both oh, for sure. both people have to, uh, you know, be flexible. So, for sure, for sure. But it's uh, it's it's good. Like these, you know, we work with some good folks over there, so it's it's really, um, it's really good. And I can say the people I work with are are very talented and very accommodating, uh, and I just try to be respectful and do the same. Perfect. That's great news. And so I want to go back to, we we're, we're talking about like, you know, you do hack the box streaming and you have your peers on there. And, and one thing you had mentioned to me outside of this, um, at this particular podcast session was that you like to do it with other people that are professionals that can give you insights. Um, and, and how, how do you pick the people that you do it with? Or is it just coincidence? You know, like how, how did you find your group, um, to go through that process? Really, it's it's people I've met through uh, work or conferences or people that I've just known for a long time, and then they know people, and we bring them into the fold. Um, we're not like some sort of ex- you know we're not like saying we're like an exclusive group, right? Like we're just a bunch of bunch of nerds that get together and we like the hack stuff, and we're we're also not um, uh, we don't want to disclude anybody who wants to learn and join. So there really is no magic sauce to that, right? We're just, hey, I know a guy, he's interested in hacking, can he come by and see what you do? And the answer is always yes, absolutely. He can show up or they can show up, they can answer questions, you know, ask questions, we'll answer them the best we can. If we can't answer them, 
uh, we'll come back next week and hopefully have the answers, right? We'll, we'll go out and, and we'll find out. We'll point them in the right direction. Um, I, I think I mentioned to this to you outside, to you outside of the stream. Um, I, I'm very much, I'm trying to give back, right? Like I, I know that for a lot of people, um, things can be hard to get into this industry, um, especially, you know, people see education barriers or, or even fight, excuse me, financial barriers when it comes to like certifications and what have you. Um, you know, certifications are not inexpensive to, to folks, you know, breaking into the industry. And uh, I, I feel like if I can share what I've learned and some of my thoughts and methodologies, are they perfect? No, but they might start you down that path in a way that um, you'll be able to grab a hold of a, a nugget of information and, and just and chase it, right? Like, um, I know that I've, uh, I've encountered, excuse me, <laughs> allergies. I've encountered a lot of folks um, through my career who were took the time to teach me. Um, and I, I don't think that we get to where we're at by going it alone or, or, or hoarding knowledge. So I definitely want to uh, distribute that and give back. I think that's an important facet, again, of just the human condition, really, not just security. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and that's, I mean, I don't think there's a single person out there that can say they got where they got on their own. You know, I, I don't think that's possible. Um, no, probably not honestly anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you can do a lot for your own success, right? You can contribute a lot of effort towards your success, but, but at the end of the day, yeah. you're relying on other people um, Absolutely. For, for the majority of what you're, you know, and you're able to do. Absolutely. So interesting. So it, let's say, you know, let's, let's say like someone wants to open up their own, like say they're like, oh, I want to be a mentor. I want to help people that are, that are learning, you know, like how, how do you think you can go find people? Like think back to yourself when you were in uh, a rural area as a child, like how can you go get a hold of those people and unlock that untapped human potential? You know, the idea of all these people that could be valuable contributors that, that maybe don't have a way in, you know, how would you go get a hold of them? So that's a good question. I think that my answer would be started a community college, right? Those are, um, those are folks who have, uh, you know, the want to, they, maybe they don't necessarily know what they're going after or they're, they're attending to get some electives out of the way before they go to a four-year university. Um, you know, maybe that's just what they could do for themselves was a community college. And there's nothing wrong with that community college graduate graduate right here, not downplaying that, um, you uh maybe you go there and you connect with the computer science instructors and say hey you know i'm you know i'm 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 looking to um teach i'm looking not necessarily teach but i'm looking to share knowledge i'm looking to provide advice to anybody who who has a way in uh, or anybody sorry anybody who wants a way in and then you maybe even think back to the people you've met along the way like i have a lot of instructors that i had back in my community college days that i still uh, communicate with on a regular basis and I all the time offer like, hey, you know, if you've got a student or someone who's interested in, in my field, send them my way. I'll, I'll talk to them, you know, I'll tell them, you know, give them some advice um, and just do what I can because, you know, I think this is a fantastic field that we're in. And uh, I think having more smart people in it or just, you, it, I think it's wonderful. I think the more people, the better, you know. Uh, I'm not afraid, you know, people are like, well, what about the competition? It's not about that, right? Like, there's enough, there's... <laughs> Trust me, there's enough work out there for all of us. <laughs> yeah, you might you might compete individually for a job, or you can you like you compete on a smaller scale, but it's 
Yeah, not it have like an exclusive competition, and that's it's going to no. be no matter what you're trying to do. You're always exactly. You're you're always competing. I mean, you know, you think about it, it's kind of it's. I wouldn't say a zero sum game, but yeah, you're you're always when you go for an interview, there's always someone else who's interviewing. Um, and if I can, can I sidetrack on that for a bit? Because I I think that the um, for people just getting into the field, the interview process is also kind of um, intimidating yeah. because you have that that feeling of not knowing. Sidetrack. Uh, I'm going to, I just want to rip the bandit off and say that you're going to get told no. You're going to go for an interview. Somebody's going to tell you no. You probably, you probably won't get the first interview. If you do, great. You did it. But if you don't, don't be discouraged, right? I can't tell you how many failed interviews that I went on um, before I was finally able to, to get my foot in the door. Just because you're not right for that job does not, does not mean you do not have worth in this industry. Keep at it. Be persistent. And, uh, and you'll, and you'll get there. Right. Um, I've been there. It, it took a bit. Uh, so I just wanted to sidetrack a bit. So if you're, you're listening to this and you're in that same situation, just keep going forward. You'll get there. Yeah. Thank you, Micah. Yeah. It's, it's important to remember because like uh, applying for jobs, it sucks. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not, not really good about it. You know, it's a brutal process. Um, Especially, you, you know, you, you drop in your resume and then you have to fill it all out anyways. That's the worst. Only for them to not respond or say like, thank you for applying, but we've decided. Right. <laughs> or the meme, like there's a security meme. It's like, yeah, we want you to have a, a doctorate, 10 years experience. You have to have 12 years of, of experience in a technology that's only existed for five. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to pay you $35,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's, that's hyperbole, I know, but um, it, it. You know that came around for a reason. That there, there are some really unreasonable um, people or uh, job descriptions, right? Um, it, it, you'll find it though. You'll find the right one, and you'll you'll get in there, and you'll you'll be great for sure. Awesome, thank you, Micah. Yeah. Well, and and so I want to kind of go back to something you had mentioned earlier that that I didn't dive into at the time, but I think is, is worth talking about, which is. You said that when you were building the application security program, uh, a part of part of what you had to do was figure out how does development work, how do we get in there, how do we get these things figured out before we get to production. You know, what's what's the the cycle? And um, so, as someone who didn't come up as a developer like yourself, like what do you wish you had known about how software development works? Um, what were the big takeaways? Like, what what are the things that that like maybe the world should be more aware of in terms of how software is built? I think that the world should be aware of how utterly difficult it really is. You know, we, we all the time can see something in the news and they, you know, it was a simple bug, you know, that, that happened and, and it should, shouldn't have been there and exposed a bunch of data. It, development is hard, right? These, these people, they work a lot and they, they put in a lot of work to make this code base work. And a lot of times they're inheriting legacy code base bases. Um, that's one thing the world should know is that it's, it's hard and things happen. Um, what I wish that I would have known going in, uh, one, I wish I would have paid more attention during my SDLC classes because coming back to it like 10, 15 years later, it's it's changed. Um, and I, I wish that I would have known more about actual coding methodologies, current coding methodologies, or I should say development methodologies, right? Um, and, and how that works, right? I had, I had never heard the word agile before I started, I started working in AppSec, right? What is agile development? I'm still not sure if I know completely what it is, but I have a better understanding of it now. 
um, it, it just really kind of get an understanding of, of where the root of problems come from, right? Um, those are things that I wish would have known before uh, diving into AppSec. And I think that had I had I known that, I could have saved myself a lot of a lot of headache when I was first trying to uh, to get the, the program stood up. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those things where if you're going to come knocking on someone's door, like you're knocking on a developer's door, and you say, "Hey, I need you to do X Y Z thing," right? But you don't understand the problems they face in their daily life. Like, what are they exactly. up against? How are they measured? Then it's not going to be a very productive conversation. Exactly right. I mean, you're trying to do a job; they're trying to do a job. Instead of of you know butting heads, let's figure out how we can make this work together. Right. We understand that you don't want this code to be buggy. And you understand that we don't want to have to come knocking on your door. Uh, so let's let's sit down and let's figure out what works for both of us. Right. Let's let's set reasonable expectations. Yeah, that's all you can ask for. All you can ask for is that both parties have a reasonable expectation of each other. Absolutely. And, and I'm curious, you know, like you you got into AppSec without a background in AppSec, right? Like you, like you got into it um, through a different, or without enough background in coding. I mean, you can say by accident, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, it's like you you wound up there. I think like a lot of yeah. people just wind up places in their career and, and it's great and it like changes everything for you. And so you wound up there and then you you moved on, you evolved. Um, and, and so coming like from a development standpoint, um, when, I, when I came from that direction, Security wasn't really focused on in school. Like it was brought up briefly. There were electives that you could take, but they were always at bad times. So, oh, yeah. like it just like was it, it it and so it wasn't a priority. Um, and a lot of the security, I mean, I would say ninety ninety nine percent of what I know, I did not learn in school. Um, and I think a lot of development teams are that way. And and so in your experience, like when you're coming in in this brand new AppSec program, trying to interface with these developers. Like how how much do they take to what you're saying? Like how much do they trust you? How much of it do you feel like actually makes them change their daily routine? Like what's been the effect on those people? So I will say that the, the culture, the security culture of of uh, VF AppSec and and with the development teams has changed drastically since I was able to to build the program. And I'm not trying to take credit. I don't think that's all me. Absolutely not, because I'm just a person, right? Just just a nerd who likes security stuff. Um, but you're right. There's there's a bit of trust that has to be built up. It's like, you know, do they do they think that I have their best interest at heart when I'm coming knocking on the door and say, hey, this you know this particular page has a has a cross site scripting bug on it. We need to try to get that fixed. And they're like, I don't know if it's really cross site scripting because of X, Y, and Z. We put these variables. It's kind of limited. And then you know maybe I should have asked that question first. It's like, hey, maybe I should ask. This is what our scanners are picking up. Can you tell us why they would behave this way instead of hey hey you got a vulnerability here right and it it is it's a back and forth and it is a a building of trust um, I think that when you're starting a program from scratch especially in a uh, environment that hasn't had that particular uh, that particular factor in it uh, change is scary right like what does change mean for me that's what you first think whenever you like security security comes knocking on your door what does that mean for me. Um, there is a, an exchange of trust that has to happen there. We have to trust them to know that they're doing the best they can to keep uh, to keep code both running for the business, right? Because they still have, you know, we're, we're a, um, a, an e-com, you know, we're a, a, sorry, a retail company. We have to generate revenue, right? So we have to keep the business running. Um, at the same time, we have to fix the bugs so we protect our uh, our data, customer data, and what have you. Um, and once we come to that 
mutual understanding that we're just trying to make each other better, um, you really kind of start establishing that trust. One thing that I find key, uh, if you don't mind me dropping this little, this little factoid of knowledge here that I find I that, uh, that really, really generates trust, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Whenever they come to you and they say, what if we did X, Y, and Z? Would that solve the problem? Don't make it up. Don't lie. If you don't know, tell them. I don't understand how what you're doing will help, but I want you to explain it to me. I want to learn why um, why you're approaching the problem this way and how it's going to help. You know, be open to learning. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I say I don't know a lot. <laughs> Probably a lot more than what I should. But I learn a lot by doing that. So that is, that is a, I guess, my pearl of wisdom for that. Has anyone ever gotten upset with you for saying, I don't know? Uh, not that I recall. No one in security anyways. <laughs> now, you know, if, if my wife comes to me and says, hey, when's our anniversary? And I say, I don't know. Probably going to get in a little bit of trouble for that. <laughs> uh, but no, it, no, one, no one in security has has ever or no one in, in, on the development side has ever got upset with me for saying i don't know especially if you follow that up with but i'm going to find out yeah right yeah i think those two sentences together are very powerful because to your point like nobody nobody expects anyone to know everything right um they want you to be helpful they want you to be a resource and, and you're allowed to be a resource in an hour or in a day or in whenever when you figured it out exactly you don't always have to know the answer right now um, but there are certain things which catch on fire and it's like, Hey, go figure it out right now. Go figure it's it out. Yesterday. Kind of the story of my life. <laughs> figure it out as we're going along. Like this whole app sec, let's just figure it out as we're going along. Right. But, but yeah, it's absolutely, I don't know is perfectly viable. Perfect. And so you think about, uh, you know, what you still want to learn. Like if you think about out of all the things you've looked into and then there's the, all of the stuff you don't know. Um, what, like, where would you, where are you most interested in, in learning about next? What, what's calling to you today? So I've, I've actually been experimenting with some, some interesting, um, adversarial simulation scenarios. Uh, and what adversarial simulation is, um, if, if you don't know, if your if listeners don't know, is that we pick up uh, a bit of threat intelligence where we say there is a threat actor out here who's attacking companies like yours and they're using these steps and, well, we want to know how we stack up against that. So we run that adversary, we, we perform those steps and we measure our security stack to see how well we respond to those things. Um, so I guess a kind of combination of red team and threat intelligence is what's really pulling me right now. Like I, uh, I dove into that a little bit with some existing, some tools that we have to perform, um, perform these types of exercises. And it, it got me good. Like I, I spent some time really kind of digging into it and really trying to understand it. I, I think there's a lot of value in adversarial simulation for sure. It kind of goes back to, you know, you talked about wanting to be a red teamer and be able to, you know, think like an attacker and in exactly. the system. And so that's, that's right up your wheelhouse. That's... It is. It plays right in, right into that, right? Like it, it's uh it, it's very adjacent to, instead of just going out there and, and doing what I find and, and living off the land and, and performing a, a pen test, we're actually leveraging known um, attack tactics, or, you know, tools, techniques, and procedures of the of these adversaries who are targeting our organization. And if we point out and say, "Hey, you know, I, I did this activity and we didn't catch it," we need to try to catch it because that's that's a you know a very 
uh, weak link in our chain here. And that's a way that we can potentially um, be harmed or, or, or have our integrity compromised. Um, it's really cool. And it's, it's been, uh, it's gotten some really good reception, um, especially with management and what have you. It's, it's, uh, it's an exciting thing. And I'm very excited to explore that more. Perfect. Yeah. It's a great way to share knowledge and, and have every organization be more resilient that ultimately protect all of us, right? Like all, all of us human beings whose data is in the system. Absolutely. Um, at risk of being compromised. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Michael, we're running low on time. So I want to give you the opportunity to make a call to action uh, and anything that you want to bring up to our audience. Now is your chance. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know if I was prepared for this. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. Uh, call to action. Um, for, for the folks who are really just getting started on their security journey, um, keep at it. If, if you feel that spark, if you feel that passion, that, that, if the, the idea of catching a bad guy, uh, you know, being digital Batman or, or anything of that nature really just kind of tugs at you, um, don't give up. Um, it could be hard, especially starting out, um, when you don't know what it is that you want to be whenever you grow up, even in security, right? Like you can start out as a SOC analyst or, a um, you know, on the, on the server side, or you can start out not in security at all. I started out wanting to be an English teacher when going to school, by the way. So that, that was a long, strange conversion. Just go for it, man. There's, there's nothing wrong with just going for it. Um, always seek to, to understand more, always seek to learn, um, and just have fun at it. Right. It don't, if, if it makes you miserable, Maybe you should be looking at something else. Um, you don't want to be doing something in your life that uh, that, that makes you miserable. Uh, I do this because it's fun to me, right? I love security. I love going to work every day. I'm excited to get up and go to work every day. Um, yeah, I, I think that's about it uh, for, for a call to action. Learn something. There we go. Learn something today. Perfect. No, that, that, was, that was amazing. And we might have to title the episode, Becoming Digital Batman. I like that. <laughs> I don't know if that's copyrighted. Well, we'll find out. We'll look into it. Sweet. Well, hey, Micah, thank you so much uh, again for joining today. It's great having you here. Awesome, Jacob. I, I really appreciated it. Had a great time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Champions of Security. Be sure to come back next week. We're going to have another exciting guest on this very streaming platform. See you there.